Since we had our guest here, I was going to do a little different sermon instead of starting a new series, which I'll do in two weeks. We're going on vacation, uh, my wife and I, this week. Um, after talking to Daniela, I'm thinking about getting a flight to Costa Rica, uh, but I'm not sure that's going to happen. But uh, we'll be gone this week, and then uh, we'll be back in two weeks, and Lord willing, we will begin a study in First Samuel. So I'm going to encourage you, if you will, maybe to start reading through that book. We'll be looking at the man Samuel and the first two kings, Saul and David of Israel. Um, but today, um, since we've got uh, more of an international flavor to our congregation here today, uh, it's nice to have that. We're, we're not really multi-ethnic here at Bible Chapel, so it's nice to have all of our guests here from around the world. And it reminds us that we live in a great big world. And it's hard for us sometimes in our little community here to think beyond our own walls here, but we want to talk today about Jesus Christ as the Savior for all the nations. We live in a big world. I checked last night on the population meter, and at 10.30 last night, the population was 8,085,021,640. If you ever get on that meter, it's just continuing running with new births. So just yesterday, by 1030, there had been 345,500 births uh, just yesterday. And I think, if I'm not correct, that last year it was India that surpassed China in having the most people in the world. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Bragging points here for you guys. But anyway, we're glad to have our guest here this morning. And so I thought I would just talk about the fact that Jesus Christ is the Savior for all the nations. And I want to begin with this point. The Bible is a sacred book for all the nations. Here in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, Paul makes this statement. He said, Timothy, since you were a little boy... You have heard and known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction and training in righteousness that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished unto every good work. Here is a claim that the Bible makes that the scriptures are God breathed, that God used men to write his word on paper, on scrolls, and he has preserved that word for us. And this is his word. Paul, writing to the Thessalonians, said, when you received our word, our instruction, you received it not as the word of men, but what it truly is, the word of God. So we understand that the the word of God is it's a sacred book. It is inspired by the triune God, by the spirit of God. And so although it was written primarily by Jewish writers, most of it was. Its message, however, is for the nations. It's not just for the Jew or it's not just for people in the West. 
This is a book that is for all ethnicities. It is God's word and it's not restricted to a certain group of people, but it is a book that is for the nations. And as you think of the Bible, most of it, 80 percent of it is narrative. It's telling a story. So it begins in Genesis one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's where it begins. And there is an unfolding story that is given to us in the Bible. So this is a message, a story that really it it relates to every one of us, no matter what nation, what country we may be from. By the way, there's one hundred and ninety five nations in our world, a lot of nations, but it is for all the nations. Secondly, the Bible reveals things that all nations share in common. We have a lot of different countries represented here this morning. And though there are differences in language, often in culture and in dress and diet, our looks, skin color, hair texture, there are various differences among us. And yet we all have much more in common than we often think. Well, how do we know this? Well, the Bible tells us. That is the case. I want to consider some of these this morning. First of all, the Bible helps us to understand that for all of our differences, we have much in common. One of them is that we have a shared ancestry. We like to trace our roots. A lot of people do by uh, go back and try to find their ancestors, where they came from. Um, I was. uh, I was. Trace, as, as I think of my mom, uh, her ancestry goes all the way back to Germany. We have somebody from Germany here with us this morning, uh, Forensica. And uh, my mom goes back to Wittenberg. And uh, all of us, we trace our roots. Most of us probably would not be from the United States. We go back in our uh, genealogy back to other countries But as we think of that, as we read the Bible, we realize if we would all trace back our ancestry and go back and back and back and back. Do you know where it would take us? It would take us to one family, one couple, Adam and Eve. We all are great, 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 great grandchildren of Adam and Eve. Now, that may seem Strange, given all the differences in our world, but that's what the Bible teaches us. There was one man that God created, one woman, one wife, and they were married, and thus began the human race. And so we read about this in Acts 17. Paul says that God, who made the world and everything in it, he gives to all life and breath and all things. That's true today. God gives us the very breath that we are breathing It is a gift from him. He has made um, and he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth. He has made from one blood. He has made from one blood all nations um, that dwell upon the earth. So, again, our ancestry, we have this in common. We have all descended from our first parents Adam and Eve that we read about in Genesis one. 
Secondly, we have a shared uniqueness. There's something about every one of us that's different from the animal kingdom around us or other kinds of life or even angelic life. And we have this in common. And we read about this in Genesis 1. And it tells us there that when God created our first parents, there was something unique, something very different about them. And we read in Genesis 1, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So every one of us have this in common that we, as we were created in Adam, we were created in the image and the likeness of God, male and female. So no matter what nation we are from, this is true of all of us. We were created in God's image. And this is the idea that there are certain ways in which we reflect the very character of who God is. And we know that God is not a physical existence. He is a spirit. But yet we reflect his image, his likeness. Even as you would look in a mirror and you see yourself, that image in the mirror is not you. It's an image of you. So we are in ways imaging and showing the likeness of God in our very being, the way God created us. We know that there has been a fall and that has affected that. But the image of God is still there. God says, don't kill because man is made in the image of God. Don't curse a man because he is in the image of God. And so there are ways in which we are like God. We are rational beings. We're usually rational. Not always, but we have an intellect. We have we are able to reason to hear all these different uh, studies that these individuals are doing at Purdue is kind of overwhelming, studying viruses and doing uh, all kinds of studies in the black hole and those kinds of things. They have minds. They're inquiring and they are learning. And this is true of us, we think. And then we are creative. Just like our God created the world, we create Every time one of those big planes goes over our church, I look up and I think there is the glory of God being displayed there. That huge hunk of metal flying through the air with thousands and thousands of pounds of cargo is declaring the glory of God because men built that. Men used their minds and learned the laws of physics and so forth and the laws of aerodynamics and Build planes like that. And in that way, they are reflecting something of their creator, God, who creates, who made the world and everything in it. And so there are many ways in which we reflect in what we do, the very God who made us. We also are moral beings. Do you ever find yourself saying something like this when somebody cuts you off in traffic? That's not fair. 
That's not right. Or they cut in front of you in line at the grocery store. You say, that's not fair. Well, there's something in us that we understand there's right and there is wrong. Even the law of God is written upon the hearts of men. And we recognize there are things that are right and wrong. Well, God is a holy God. He is a just God. And so even in that way, we in some ways are reflecting the fact that he is a holy God. We are relational. We enjoy fellowship together. We enjoy marriage. We enjoy family. We've enjoyed our guests that have been here with this this week. God created us to exist in relationship. And it's a reflection of who our God is. He is a triune God. And we read in John 1, 1 of Jesus, who was the word that was made flesh. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. No, I'm getting it wrong there. And the word of God became. In the, there we go. Thank you. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And here is a picture of Jesus Christ, the second person of the Godhead, who existed in relationship with God. He was with God and enjoyed face to face fellowship and communion. But at the same time, he was God. And we, as those made in his image, enjoy relationships. We are relational beings. God has created us that way. And so this is another way in which we reflect the God who has made us. Marriage is a beautiful example, again, of this, where two become one flesh. There's a spiritual component of this. We were made for God. We were made to know him. Our first parents walked with God in the garden and had fellowship with him. And so this is another aspect of the fact We are made in the image of God. So we recognize that we have not evolved from some lower animal life. But God directly and immediately created Adam and Eve and he created them in his own image and in his own likeness. And I think we can add to that, that when we look at the creation that God has made us to be, as we think about our human existence, our human body, there is wonder an amazement when we consider the human body and the way in which God had made us. And David understood that in Psalm 139. He says this, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. And my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place and I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days that were ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. David said, you knew me in the womb of my mother. And that's why when we come to the Bible, we recognize The sanctity of human life in the womb or out of the womb. And David said, you knew me, you formed me there. You made me to be the person that I am, given me these qualities and gifts. And so life is something that is sacred. And all of us 
have this in common. We're made by God and created by God in the womb. And this is a wonder of his creation. Think about some of the things about the amazing human body. I was looking at some things this week and here are some facts about our human bodies that we all have in common. Do you know that humans shed about 600,000 particles of skin every hour? So while you're sitting in that pew during this sermon, you are shedding, um, you're shedding particles of your skin. And you're also sitting in the particles of the one that was sitting there last week. I don't know how that works, but, but that's what they tell me. Every day, an adult body is producing 300 billion new cells. Your nose can remember 50,000 different scents, good or bad. A normal resting heart rate for an adult ranges from 60 to 100 beats a minute. An average heart pumps about two and a half ounces of blood per beat of the heart. At 72 beats per minute, that is about one and a third gallons of blood that is pumped per minute. That's about 1,900 gallons of blood that is pumped per day. Your heart is pumping 1,900 gallons of blood per day. I remember as a little boy going to my aunt and uncle's house. They had a pump outside their house, an old pump, and you could pump the handle up and down and up and down, and pretty soon water would come out. But after you do that a while, you get tired. But can you imagine doing that for 1,900 gallons of water? Well, that's what your heart is doing every day. This adds up to 700,000 gallons of blood per year, and in a lifespan of 70 years, I'm almost there, 48 million gallons throughout your lifespan. That's just that little muscle inside of you doing all that work throughout all of that uh, of your life. And most for the most part, we're unconscious of that until it's not working right. But every day, this is what this amazing organ in us is doing. So we have a lot of things in common in terms of our being and uh, that God has made us. There's a shared uniqueness that we have. But we also have a shared problem. We have a shared problem. When we look in the Bible, the Bible tells us what this is. We have a common problem, and that problem is called sin. We read these words by Paul in Romans 5. He says, therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, through that one man, Adam, sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all have sinned. Adam was our representative as he was in the garden. And when he fell, we fell in him. And in him, we we became sinners. The Bible says that we are born in sin. 
Paul goes on to say, for as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So even though we were made in the image of God, that image has been marred by our sin. The Bible says that we have all sinned and we've all come short of the glory of God. And this sin is it's seen in the world all around us and in us. It has disrupted relationships in families, in communities, in cities, in nations. We're all very familiar with murder and wars and fighting. I've been to about 15 different countries. And one of the things that I've noticed in all of those countries where I have gone, they all lock their doors at night. Do you lock your doors in India? Yeah, okay. Um, I would say probably all of us do the same thing. They lock their doors. They have police. They have standing armies. And all of these things are reminding us that we live in a broken world, a world of sin, where it has brought division, heartache. It brings sickness. It brings disease. We're groaning, the Bible says. We groan in these bodies. And the fact is that we all die. The death rate is the same in every nation represented here today. Ten out of ten people die. That's just a reality. And the Bible, again, helps us to understand this. It's as a result of sin. And this sin has affected our world. It has affected relationships. And it has affected me. That I am a sheep going my own way. One who is created to know God. I'm like a sheep going astray, going my own way. And we have in our hearts sinful anger and lust and selfishness and coveting and lying and stealing and sexual sins. We break God's law. We have been called to love God with all of our heart and soul and strength. And we have not done that. And the second commandment is we shall love our neighbors ourselves. And we failed to do that as well. We stand guilty before a holy and a righteous God. Isaiah tells us in the book of Isaiah that your sins, God says, your sins have separated you from him. The one who is the source of all good and eternal blessedness, our sin, has cut us off from him. So as a result of that, we see the effects in our world, don't we? We live in a broken world that is under a curse and has fallen. And this is this is the bad news of the Bible. This is God giving us an assessment of the situation that we all find ourselves in. But the Bible doesn't stop there. The Bible goes on to tell us about good news. It goes on to tell us about a message of restoration. It's the story of God who is central to this narrative of the Bible. It's how he has sent a savior into this world, a deliverer to undo the effects of sin, the effects of our fallenness in Adam. And it's a story of God regathering to himself, saving men and women from among the nations And bringing them back, as it were, to the Garden of Eden. And so the Bible that is a story about the nations 
of the earth is also a message for it's a message for all the nations of the earth. So the Bible reveals Jesus Christ as the solution, as the deliverer, as the savior for all nations. First of all, the Old Testament, which is the first half of the Bible, it goes from creation to up until the first century till the time of Christ. The Old Testament foretold a coming Savior for all the nations. One of those promises is given and statements is given in Genesis 12, where God had chosen a man. His name was Abraham. He was an idolater. And God called him in grace. And Abraham was given some amazing promises that God would make of him a great nation. There would be many that would come from him. But in these promises, there is this statement that in you, in your seed that would come from you, there would be one who would bring blessing to all the families of the earth, all the families of the earth, that this one will bring blessing. What an amazing promise. There are many more that we find in the Old Testament. We can't develop those here, but this one that will come from Abraham is going to be a king. He's going to rule and reign. He's also going to be a deliverer, a savior. He's going to be a prophet who will teach us about God. He will also be a priest who will provide provision for guilty sinners. So all of this is foretold in the Old Testament. And then when we come to the New Testament, the Old Testament is living in expectation of the one that's coming. When we get to the New Testament, it says this. He's here. This one that we have been longing for, waiting for, the promised one is here. So the New Testament reveals Jesus Christ as that savior for all the nations. He's the savior for all the nations. So those shepherds listening to the angels speak to them out in the country in the hillside said to them, there is born to you this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. There's a savior, a little baby born in Bethlehem there in Israel, who is a savior. And he's a savior for the world, for all the peoples of the world. Simeon got to hold that little baby in the temple when Joseph and Mary brought the baby there. And as he is holding that baby, he said this, that God had given the promise to him that he would not see death until he had seen this Savior, the salvation that God had promised to the world. And as he is holding that little baby, he said this, this baby is a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles, a light to the world, not just to the Jews, but a light to all the families of the earth, a revelation. And here he is, this one that is born. So this is the Savior's birth, but we see his ministry The Savior's ministry. John the Baptist clarifies what that ministry is. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This one who has come, who has been born of the Virgin Mary, is the one who's come to save sinners. That's what we need, isn't it? 
those who have rebelled against our God, we who were fallen in Adam and we who have lived our lives for ourselves, we are in need of a savior to reconcile us, to save us of our sins. And John says, here he is. This is the one. He's the lamb of God. And he takes away the sin of the world. How does he do that? How does he remove our sins from us? The Bible says in this amazing story of redemption that this one, the second person of the Godhead, became a man and willingly took to himself the judgment that was due to the guilty sinner. And he made satisfaction by dying on a cross, bearing the full wrath of God in the place of guilty sinners. We call it a substitutionary death. God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is the wonderful exchange of the gospel. Christ takes our sin and he gives to us his perfect righteousness. And Jesus said, that's why I came into the world. I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He has given his life and conquered sin and conquered death and conquered the grave so that guilty sinners could be forgiven. Jesus said these amazing words, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one, no one comes to the Father but by me. So Jesus makes it clear that he is the way to God. And this is the message that Jesus gave to his disciples. Go into the world. Go out into the world and preach the good news of the gospel. From here in Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the uttermost parts of the world. Go and preach this gospel. And as we think about that, we have a window into heaven in the book of Revelation. And what we find there is a collection of redeemed saints in the presence of God. And what are they doing? They are worshiping. Listen to these words. John says, I looked and behold, a great multitude which no one could number of all the nations and tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. This is what they're singing about in heaven. This savior of the nations, all the nations together, worshiping him. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive glory and honor. He has purchased us by his blood. And so the Bible reveals this message of good news that is for all the nations. But how does one receive this salvation? How does one partake of this salvation? Well, happy to tell you that it's a free gift. 
You can't buy it. You can't earn it. It is a free gift that is received by faith alone, turning from our sins, turning to this Christ, calling upon him to save guilty sinners. That's the best news in the world. Listen to these words in Romans 10 by Paul. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, listen to this, whoever, whoever believes on him, whatever nation you're from, whatever ethnicity you are, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jews and Greeks, for the same Lord is rich To all who call upon him. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, they will be saved. This is the good news of the gospel. How do you come to Christ? You come as you are a guilty sinner. The only thing that you bring to the table when you come to Christ is your sin, not any merit in you. And you bring your sin and you say, Jesus, I need to be forgiven of this sin and I turn from it and I cast my soul upon you and I trust you to save me from my sin. And I'm calling upon you to do that. And Paul says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, they will be saved. Jesus said, everyone, everyone who comes to me, I will not turn one away. You say, but my sins are so many. Yeah, all of ours are. But Jesus says, the one that comes to me, I'll not turn one away. And Jesus says that, come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. So here is a book for the nations, the Bible. Here is the story that relates us all together, the things that we have in common And our common problem, but a common salvation, a common savior. His name is Jesus Christ. He is, I'm thankful to say, he is the friend of sinners. And he welcomes sinners to himself. The rest of the story of the Bible is that this savior king is coming again one day. And he's going to judge the world and he's going to save his people. And he is going to restore what has been lost. Paradise that was lost is going to be restored for all those who have come to savingly put their trust, their hope in him. What a glorious promise that we have. We're going to close by seeing just one verse of that hymn. I will glory in my redeemer. And I hope that's true for you today. If it's not, we urge you, we encourage you to flee to this savior the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's stand together as we sing just the first verse. I will glory in my Redeemer.